It is Friday the 30th of August 2019. My name is Jeremy Medlin and welcome to episode 55 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a quick reminder that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice and if you're looking for financial advice I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. I'll start with a quick chat about the macro environment. We do not normally talk about the macro environment too much on the podcast, but I thought it'd be worth a couple of comments about the trade dispute between China and the United States, or should I say the trade dispute between the United States and China. I sort of brushed this off when the news first came out. I thought it would be another Donald Trump thing that would just blow over, but I'm starting to get the feeling that this is going to be a serious thing if it isn't already. I, I know that there are some tariffs that have been implemented and some that haven't, and it is a thing that's happening in stages, and I don't, I'm not, I have to admit, I'm not 100% up to play with what's been done and what been hasn't and what's been just tweeted about and talked about, etc. So I'm, I'm not going to get in get into the detail there but I think it's almost a, a confidence a th- confidence thing that it will have something that will have a wider effect on business confidence sort of like how they announce things in the financial market and it gets priced in before it happens sort of thing and I think it's also something that's going to be extremely difficult to predict and you know how can you predict what the next Donald Trump tweet's going to be for example or, or where foreign policy is going to go next or trade policy or whatever it might be I mean during the weekend he was advising US companies against doing business in China which is obviously not going to happen but that's got to have some sort of impact on on business confidence for example it would be hard to imagine it not being more difficult for foreign companies to do business in China on some level and, and vice versa. So I think the overall economic impact at the moment would be considered short term as in something that if they came to a, a resolution and, and we'll just continue on business as normal at the moment. But I'm starting to get the feeling that more could come of it. But as I said, it will be very difficult to predict. So it, it doesn't really affect the way I invest at all. But it, it's it's hard not to imagine something could come of it, but it's difficult to say what that is at the moment and and how big of a deal it might be. I think I said on the last episode that I was away in Fiji for a week. I've never been to Fiji before, so I did the best when I was away to think of any investing takeaways from the trip that I could talk about on the podcast. So as I said, I'd never been there before, and, and I guess the first thing is I could surprise, I was quite surprised by how robust the Fijian economy appeared to be it seemed to me that there was a lot of growth and activity going on I mean that that might that's just an anecdotal opinion so it doesn't mean much but it it, it did seem to be a lot happening the other thing I noticed was that it was quite expensive which is is quite tough when the for locals when the minimum wage is something like three dollars Fijian per hour um so during a a quiet moment of the holiday I went I, I wonder if Fiji has a stock market and it turns out that they do. I didn't know that before. It's it's based in Suva and it's called the South Pacific Stock Exchange. It was established in 1973 as a Suva Stock Exchange and they changed their name in the year 2000 to the South Pacific Stock Exchange. I think the idea there was to hopefully encourage other businesses from other island nations to list with them. Um, it, it doesn't Looking at the stocks, it doesn't appear to be the case. Most of them are Fijian. So you can check out the website by going to www.spse.com.fj. And while I was on holiday, I had a quick glance over the companies. There's there's not many, as, as you would expect, around 20 companies or, or so. And to be honest, they, they all appear to be pretty decent companies. I think the smaller the, the stock exchange, the 
harder it is to hide, so to speak. And and I think the, the smaller the exchange, the the better on average the the companies appear to be. Not not the total number of good companies, but the better on average. So I would say on average, New Zealand has more as a higher percentage of good companies on this exchange than say Australia, which has a lot more companies. Of course, Australia has more good companies because it's much larger. And in Fiji as well, they had about twenty companies or so. I'd I'd a quick glance over most of them, and they all appeared to be decent companies you know you had your telecommunications a tv network a port a rice company there's some good companies there i was like initially i was thinking jackpot i'm gonna find some undervalued companies and the stocks however on the whole just at a, at a glance i only read one annual report that appeared to be pretty fairly valued so obviously it's a lot less liquid than what you see on the nzx and the asx some companies you know, they, they 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 trade once a month maybe. But there are some companies with market capitalizations of five hundred and fifty million Fijian, so pretty pretty decent size. And despite it being fairly valued, being a lot smaller and a lot less liquid, I'd imagine that if you sniffed around hard enough and did your research, that you would be able to find some investable companies. I actually found one or two of interest. Um so, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, it was really interesting. Looking at the listing fees and such, it's, it appears to be very cheap to list a business um, compared to, say, New Zealand. So maybe we'll see some more Fijian market companies and other Pacific Island companies coming to market in time. So And certainly if the economy keeps on growing, you'd expect that. So in terms of how to buy Fijian companies listed on the South Pacific Stock Exchange, um, I, I don't know how easy or hard that is to do from New Zealand or Australia, but I'm, I'm guessing that it is possible. I imagine you'd have to have a Fijian bank account, but I noticed that Westpac have a, has a presence in Fiji, so it would not be insurmountable. And there are there are a lot there are a list of brokers on the website of the exchange, so I imagine that you would be able to to do that. So maybe if you could go on there and find some companies, maybe you want to buy them. I'm not sure. Anyway, here, here's a challenge for you. See if you can figure out the company on the South Pacific Stock Exchange that I was interested in and send me an email at jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz. I'll be interested in hearing your thoughts. So moving on further from the Fijian Stock Exchange, I, I hope you enjoyed the plug. It's been a while since I've spoken about A2 Milk. And I know that a lot of listeners either own the stock or at least have an interest in it. A2, for those that do not know, trades on the NZX under the ticker code ATM. And on the ASX under the ticker code A2M, that's A for Apple, 2 is in the number 2, and M for Mother. They have a market cap of somewhere in the region of 10 to 11 billion NZ. So in terms of New Zealand, they're one of our most significant, if not the most significant company in terms of size. So they released their annual report for the 2019 financial year. Um, there, there was a lot of people listening that will know a lot more about A2Milk than what I do, so I will not dive too deep into the qualitative aspects, but I've, I'll just highlight some things that stuck out for me from the report and the presentation. So obviously there's a lot of things that the company pointed out in the first page as highlights, so 6.4% infant nutrition value share in, in China and leading brand in Australia. <laughs> infant nutrition value share sounds like a bit of a mouthful for me, so maybe a bit of a, a company invented metric there, but 
I don't actually know. Number one premium milk brand in Australia with 11.2% market share. I guess the question is, how large can the market share get? In this sort of business, you're, you're taking market share from someone else. So one would expect it to get harder as the percentages get higher. And of course, it is, appears to be an overall growing market as well. So maybe there's enough of the pie to go around for everyone. 64% increase in store distribution in China. They have around 16,000 stores. That sounds like a lot. You know, coming from New Zealand, 16,000 is a, a big number, but going to China, 16,000 16, without knowing too much and having never been there, 16,000 I imagine is, is quite a small number, so I'm guessing that there's quite a lot of room for growth there. Um, 161% increase in US revenue, 13,000 stores. The chairman's letter was a, and the CEO's letter is a bit boring, it's the same old stuff that you normally see in fact we'll just skip that all together and, and the qualitative stuff and get right to the nitty-gritty of the financial statements revenue came in at 1.3 billion this was a substantial 41 percent increase on the 900 odd million on the year before gross margins were 54.7 percent compared to 50.3 percent in 2018 so it's nice to see an expansion of gross margins so not only are they selling more but as they're selling more, that it's more profitable growth, which you don't often see that, and it's exactly what you want to see. It'll be interesting, and obviously, in, in true economic, in true economics, as as you as you grow, you can increase your economies of scale and everything like that. But actually, when you look at the companies across the market, it's it's rarer than what you think. So it'll be interesting to see if if this trend can continue. This margin expansion flow down to operating profit with a 31.5% operating margin compared to a 30.5% margin the year before. So interestingly that the margin increase on the operating profit line wasn't as large as the gross margin line. So that shows me that they're spending more on advertising and staffing and, and things like that, which is actually how A2's been growing. Now I'll come to that in a minute. So you have operating profits of four hundred and eleven million with a market cap of around ten and a half billion. So an earnings yield of about four percent, which is not too bad considering how much of a darling and a following the stock has been and, and, and considering that your expectations will be the operating profit will grow from here. It it, it just shows how if nothing else, you don't want to read too much into that, but it shows how undervalued the stock was a few years ago when with the operating profit of four hundred million, you know, you could have bought it for for four hundred million. So it shows how undervalued it was and, and how few people, myself included, didn't pick up on that. So moving to balance sheet, there are no issues there. They have four hundred and sixty four million in the bank in cash, no debt. 675 million in current assets and only 205 million in current liabilities. They also own 17 odd percent of Sinlay Milk, which, even though they carry that on the balance sheet as non current asset, suggests that they consider it a long term asset. You know, it's it's stock in a marketable security. So, you know, with 17 percent, you just can't sell it the next day like I could if I owned a small amount of Sinlay. But in, in, in some ways, you know, it's an asset that can be redeemed for cash. In some ways, it's a current asset which just strengthens their balance sheet. Anyway, during the year, they generated 289 million in cash, which wasn't a massive increase from the prior year, interestingly enough. I think it was 230 million. So, yeah, interesting that. The thing I love about AA2 is that there's virtually no capital expenditure. So that net cash from operating activities is virtually free cash flow. So they're able just to grow through marketing and advertising as opposed to more capital investments. And that's that's quite impressive in my view. It is almost how you, how you expect a cash flow statement to look from a successful software company. 
it, it, it's, it's, it's seriously impressive. Um, so looking at the statement, I wouldn't be surprised if they start paying a dividend or buying back shares at some point. That, that's if they can't find anything better to do with the money. Um, so that they are a great company doing great things. It's, it's, it, like I've said a few times, it's impressive. So why did the stock fall after earnings? I think it was down 12% or so after the update. And this can be quite confusing for both old and new investors alike. <laughs> and there's nothing more head-scratching than when you own a company that puts out a good announcement and the stock drops. It, 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 it you know, brings on insanity. Um, if a company puts out a wonderful update, why would the stock fall? Now, this happens for reasons related to valuation. Other market participants had valued it placed a higher valuation on A2 prior to the earnings with the expectations of better earnings. So the market was expecting more, basically. And I think when you consider A2's historical performance, it's not unsurprising. I believe that there are a lot of people that have invested in the company that are invested because of its historical performance, both in its business and, and the share price appreciation. So they're going, oh, the shares are going up, I'm buying it. All the business is doing well, I'm buying it. And that would be my warning to anyone buying the company. A, A2 will not be able to deliver the per share appreciation that it has in the past you know it doesn't mean that it'll be a bad performer but they just can't they just can't do what they what they have in the past on a percentage basis if they do they'll be one of the largest companies in the world by market cap and i'll eat more words but as as i say all, all the time there's a lot and, and i should clarify i do not mean it's easy i mean i mean it would be easier to go from a market cap of 1 billion to 10 billion i mean it's not easy if they've done that but it's easier to go from 1 billion to 10 billion than 10 billion to 100 billion Anyway, so what of the valuation? I think it's about right at the moment. They're, they're priced with a cash flow yield of, of around 3%, which is not too much more than the interest rates in New Zealand, and, and you'd expect that cash flow to grow in time. So personally, I, I do not think that you would consider the stock cheap in, in any way, but it's not ridiculously expensive anyway. It's not like it was cheap like it was a few years ago in retrospect, but it's not ridiculously expensive either. So for me, it'll be interesting to see what they start doing with their cash flows. I do not think that they need more cash on the balance sheet than what they've currently got. So that would be the one to watch for me, whether they decide to, to invest in more companies like Sinlay, whether they decide to maybe diversify, whether they decide to buy back shares, whether they decide to buy back dividends. That's going to be the, the, the big question for the management team is, is what do they do with the cash that they generate now that they've got a good balance sheet and now that they're going to appear to be, at least in the near future, continue to generate that cash. I had a good listener question the other week that I've been meaning to get to for a few episodes, <coughs> excuse me, but I haven't been able to because of all the interviews I've been doing recently. So it was from Wendy, a long-time listener, who, had, who sent along a question surrounding director and inside ownership. The question was in relation to Rural Funds Group, which trades on the ASX under the ticker code RFF. I, I hadn't heard of RFF before, but to give you a, a 10,000 foot view according to what's on my interactive broker screen, they are engaged in, lease, in leasing of agricultural properties and equipment, leasing almond orchards, macadamia orchards, poultry property and infrastructure vineyards, agricultural plant and equipment and water rights. So I'm not here to interpret the company, but what happened was a research firm called Bonitas Research, I think it's pronounced, they put out a short selling report that caused the stock, basically short selling report, I did an episode on short selling a while ago, but basically they came out and said they thought the stock was worth a lot less than what it was. So this was some, the stock went from somewhere around $2.50 a share to below $1.50 a share in a, in a very in very quick time. And incidentally, the stock is nearly fully recovered now. So soon after the 
the short attack, the directors of the company came out and bought some stock. So Wendy's question was, how to interpret director buys following an incident? Are they keen to buy while cheap, buying to bolster the price, or do you ignore as the buys could be automated buys for their trust funds? Now, I guess all, all three of those could be true. They could be true independently, and they could also be true at the same time. I would say in this case, it's unlikely that the third one automated buying is is true um and that's that's because the buying appeared to be coordinated after the short report but that does happen sometimes regular automated buying by directors and when it does with their own money regular buying can probably be seen as a as a good thing now they could be legitimately buying trying to buy when it's cheap and that can be seen as a good thing and they could also be buying to bolster the share price, which could be seen as a as a good or a bad thing. And there's plenty of examples of directors trying to do that. You know, director buying is a very difficult thing to follow in my view, and figuring out exactly what everything means is is also a difficult thing. You know, because you do not know people's situation. Now, I know Peter Lynch basically says in his books that and I'm a big follower of Peter Lynch, that all director buying is is a good thing, but I think that <sighs> That, that sweeps over things a, a bit quickly and it's a lot more nuanced than that. So now it, it could be that directors got together in a situation like this and, and agreed that they were going to buy because they felt that the stock was massively undervalued and it was a way for them to make easy money as an insider. <laughs> Obviously they're making easy money, if that's the case, they're making easy money at the expense of shareholders that are selling, but that's buy to buy. Now that would obviously be a good thing because it would show that they really believed in the company. They, they, they may also may have sat around the table and gone, our bonuses depend on the share price being high, let's bolster the share price. We'll put out some announcements saying we're buying and the share price will increase. Now, I'm not saying that's the case, but it's just an example. And then the question is, how do I go interpreting that? And it's really hard. What well, One thing to, to look at is how much money was used. I mean, one guy bought nearly 300,000 units at $1.71 per unit, which in most people's language is a, is a reasonably hefty purchase. It's, you know, it's, 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 even if he's wealthy, it's probably going to mean something to him. So one thing you can do in this situation is, is try to, to dig a bit deeper and find out what it's worth to him. You know, If he found out that he'd mortgaged the family home to do this, then it might show that he really believed in the company. Whereas if it was just a drop in the bucket and he was a, a had $500 million in the bank, then it might be less significant. And the truth is you, you never do really know for sure. I mean, the, <laughs> the, the direct, and this is not the case, I'm not saying that, but the director that mortgages home to buy the stock might also be an idiot with a, with a terrible track record of investing. Obviously, that I'm not saying that's the case, but do not assume that just because someone is a director that they're not also an idiot and with a terrible investing track record. And you, you might... you. You know, by placing some value in the fact that they're buying some shares, shares, you might just be following them off the cliff. So the general assumption in the market is that insider ownership is a good thing, and it is a good thing. You know, you want people to be aligned with with you when you're buying the stock, but it's not necessarily a reason to go out and and buy the stock. For example, I believe that insiders had large holdings in in CBL Corporation, and and how much are those holdings worth now? And quite often in and say, and I, I I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but in some cases, your investment, even though you're in a much smaller percentage of the company, may actually be 
on a on a capital basis a lot larger than the the founders investment you know the founders may have founded may have started up a company in their bedroom for example for ten thousand dollars and now it's worth worth ten billion dollars and I'm just pulling numbers out of my head and those founders are worth $2 billion, whereas you may have gone and invested $20,000 in the company. So it's it's a really tricky, tricky one to figure out. So I, I believe, for example, I, I believe that the insiders had large holdings in CBL Corporation and how much are these holdings are worth now? And if you invest in the CBL Corporation and part of your investment thesis was that the insiders had holdings, how much is that, is, is that worth now? Um, you know, the other, the other extreme, how much of, if you'd invested alongside Mark Zuckerberg back in the day, how much do your Facebook shares are worth now? They'd be worth a lot. So it, it is very difficult to understand. If you remember back to episode 50 where Matt Joss interviewed me and I, I talked about how you comp- compound your knowledge and thought process, to, it develops the longer that you're in the, in the markets. That's, that's my one big piece of advice is stay in the markets for a long time and compound your knowledge. I have to say that, that my thought process has developed when it, it comes to inside ownership. I used to actively seek out companies, like filter for companies that had insider ownership and focus on those. And I do not quite see it that way anymore. I consider it just another factor that is sometimes important and sometimes not. It is like any other question in the stock market and investing world. The answer to, is it important? The answer is always, it depends. These days, I see it as more as like a thin layer of icing on the cake when it comes to an investing thesis. And that also extends to people that are that are buying. When someone goes such and such, and you can assert any important investor or, or person here as buying, they wouldn't be buying unless it's it's a great company. Blah 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 blah. I almost always ignore that. I acknowledge that from time to time that I may miss out on some big winners because of the because of their attitude. But I can tell you from experience, it has also saved me from driving off the cliff a couple of times. All right, that's about all, all we have time for this week on the podcast. Um, thanks very much for listening. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the macro situation. It's one of those things that something may happen or, or, or something may not. Hope also that you, you check out the Fijian, or sorry, the, the, the South Pacific Stock Exchange based in, in, in Fiji. It's one of those things that you might jump on and, and, and learn something or find a good company. Ata Milk is obviously another one that, that we're always always following here, so good, good to see another update from them. And I, I guess just all, finally on the inside ownership, just have a think about it. You don't, don't blindly do something just because other, other people are. So a reminder that, and, and that goes for me, it goes for listening to me as well, is a reminder that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice. Find out more about the podcast by going to www.stockmarketmovers.co.nz. Find us and give it a like by searching on Facebook and, and Twitter. Share it with your friends also, it's much appreciated. Email me at jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz. Once again, my name is Jeremy Medlin and this has been episode 55 of the Stock Market Movers podcast for Friday the 30th of August 2019. We'll see you all again next week.